Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with all leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Houghton and Paul Lewis. Morning, guys. Carlos. Good morning. So, one in a hotel, one in a castle. <laughs> I'm in a hotel. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in a hotel. I do not have jaundice. I just have terrible lighting. <laughs> I'm in the glorious Montreal, Quebec, Canada, having a uh, a latte and a the closest you can get to a European croissant. It's glorious. I'm in um, the Grand American Hotel in Salt Lake City, Utah, which mm. is a kind of what you would get from a hotel if you built it during the late 19th century, during kind of the gold rush era of expansion. Um, and you had uh, unlimited um, funds and lots of coal dust inhaled by the designer because every single thing has a tremendously different pattern. <laughs> is it a shared water closet and you have to get the water outside? Oh no, 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 the room is enormous. And mm. like, there's a whole room that you, that like, if this thing was in New York, this room was in New York, it would, it would actually be the bedroom, but it's just a little like hole <laughs> to house a closet that doesn't connect to anything. <laughs> I see. Like that I have actually had hotels in New York that were smaller than just the little entryway. <laughs> hotel That's in true. I don't know why, but it's great, fine. And those hotels never have Ironing boards and irons. Huge uh, they did put an ironing board in here and a steamer. A steamer, fancy. Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't have the slightest idea what it costs. <laughs> it's, part of the, it's part of the speaker package, so I have no idea. Speaker package, fancy. So I look forward to doing the uh, the conference tours again. That's yeah, they're, they are starting. Um, this one went pretty well. They they invited me to. They're starting their their leadership conference tour, so they invited me to speak on their leadership conference tour. So that should be nice. fun. Um, I'm doing another one uh, two weeks, so I'm looking forward to that. I think it's two weeks. Might be next. Might be a week. Whatever. It's sometime in the future that is not today. I'm sure I'll. I, I'm I'm sure I'll have a uh, similarly well put just, together. Day. Just keep the week of the November eighth still open. It is still open. I require you at that other conference. It, it didn't look like it was going to be open there for a bit. We've got a, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a uh, an issue at a foreign location that was going to pull me away. An issue at a foreign location? Foreign to Salt Lake City? Foreign, like uh, extra, extra national to the United States. I see. Got it. You know, it was going to have me drive, that was going to have me fly across the ocean. Now that trip, now that's what I'm waiting for. I haven't flown across a body of water other than the Great Lakes right. in a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, so business so, class seat, lay down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, okay. so the lay downs are fun. <laughs> you know, the, the free liquor's nice, the lay down, you know, the, I like the foreign language, but but really it's the, uh, it's the instant jump in status that I think is fantastic. That's true. Yeah, yes. you, get, you get a dramatic amount of points with a single flight. You do. You do. Yeah. So, uh, so we were chatting chatting a little bit before this started, and I said uh, I once convinced a flat earther to to see the the, the light. Right. 
right? And I, and I like the story because this kind of thing doesn't happen very often. Um, I, I don't really encounter a lot of flat earthers, but no? I, I actually converted one. Nice. And this, he kind of, we were kind of in a conversation and, and I'm like, you realize there's the flat, there's not flat. And he goes, yeah, it is. They staged the moon landing. Hmm. Like we've never been to space. All those pictures were faked, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. Um, but that's not how we know the earth is flat or the earth is round. And he's like, uh, okay, what do you mean? And I said, we've known for hundreds of years because you don't need to leave the earth to observe the curvature of the earth. Right. Uh, what do you mean? Okay, so you're standing at the dock watching ships come in circa 1492. <laughs> right. What is the first part of the ship you see? Flag. Is that, I, I don't know. You see the flag at the top of the mast. Oh, yeah, I remember reading that. Right. Why is that? It's the smallest piece of the boat. Why do you see it first? He goes, I, I don't know. I said, it's because of the horizon effect of the curve from the curvature of the earth. Because it sticks up the tallest, it's the first thing to be visible over the horizon. Right. If the earth was flat, you would see the whole of the ship first as it is the largest piece. Right. He said, you're full of it. I don't believe you. Disappeared for 10 minutes, came back and said, oh, oh my God, you're right. Um, how did I never know this? What happened to my, like, we went to school together. What happened to my education? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he goes, honestly, Howard, no one's explained it that simply to me. Mm. I went, yeah, dude, that's how we know the earth is round. That's why, like, even in Colum Columbus's day, no one actually believed the earth was flat. We had, we had already reached a consensus that the earth was round. Right. But Just no, based on that simple observation. It was, it was Columbus that discovered the world was round. No, sir. No. Mm -mm. There were just flat earthers at the time, like the, the, <laughs> right. the, a total misnomer. The and they controlled the media for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then he told the media false news was created. Right. <laughs> it was the first fake news. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so a if, conversation. So. so if we think about that, <laughs> here uh, we go. <laughs> perceived no. It's interesting what you mentioned that. He got the same education and it didn't work correctly for him. He received similar to you, you mentioned. So it didn't click. Sometimes that happens when you are doing something. You're presenting, you're sharing information, you're talking to someone and things don't click. They don't play. So what do you do when you're doing something and you may be in the wrong place? People don't get the information. Your deck may not even work. You don't have. You're going with it, Carlos. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when your deck doesn't play? First of all, that's never happened to me. I've only had perfect presentations my entire life. Oh, wow. So oh, I'm, okay. I'm not familiar <laughs> with the series of stories we're about to tell. Perfect presentation. Now, what happened when your deck doesn't play? When you are somewhere with someone and you may have a technical flu you may have actually you present a great deck and it's a completely wrong audience mm. uh, or at the end of the day av doesn't work 
I think it's a I think it's a good question because it happened to me yesterday. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Um, it, it new topic, new kind of role thing, um, new presentation. Right. I hadn't done this presentation before. Um, spent a tremendous amount of time getting it getting it the way I wanted, like a whole hour, hour and a half. Um, and, and so, so it wasn't like I was I had the the value of doing this twenty times where I kind of had a patois down. Um, and AV didn't work. No clue, right? Um, likely a series of dongle mismatches between my USB-C only laptop and their, you know, multi-display confabulator. Uh, I don't know the thing. <laughs> making up a word, but then we had VGA. Well, well, it was HDMI, but then it went from that down to some repeater box that handled the TV in front, and then went to another thing that recorded and sent to the two TVs to the side, like. Right. Um, and, and it just wouldn't present. So we mucked with it during the presenter setup. Right. And they're like, he's like, yeah, I can't. It's not working. <laughs> okay. I don't have another laptop. So this is the one laptop I have. So right. you know, we, can, we can. And he goes, well, I don't know what to do. Okay, cool. I'll just like, I, I'll go deckless. It doesn't really bother me. What um, was the length of this presentation? 45 minutes. 45 minutes. <laughs> Okay, so yeah. you are now tap dancing for forty-five minutes. What was your what was going through your head? Um, the uh, actually relief for mm -hmm. me because again, I, I didn't have a patois, right? You know what I mean. So it wasn't it, it, it the first couple times you run through a deck, it's a little awkward in front of a live audience because you don't have the timing down. You don't right. really know everything that's on the next slide. You don't really know everything that's on the current slide. So right. you have to keep referring back to them. As you as you kind of do your your thing, it right. it kind of pins you in place a little bit. Um, they had a podium set up, and so what I did instead was I just walked around the podium and I, I announced to the to the room. I said, "Hey, everybody, the you know the deck's not working. I we don't have any any video. Um, if everybody can hear me, okay. How do you feel about just having a conversation?" Mm. And they're like, "Yeah, okay, that sounds that sounds fine. Cool. Let's start talking about low code because that's what it was, the business case for low code." And I just said, right. "How many people use low code?" and started a conversation. And just did a 45 minutes of a Q&A where it was all Q and the A could be in depth. Right. They, you could have uh, a 10 minute answer if you had to. Right. And I allowed them to steer the, the conversation where they wanted to go. So we didn't stay within the boundary of low code. Right. We obviously we drifted, drifted into no code. Right. Yeah. Got into some business process automation, some RPA, moved into um, you know, data and had, had a conversation about data quality and um, master data management and got a little bit into metadata and kind of the value of metadata and, and then some best practices around getting that set up and started and what a center of innovation is and a center of excellence is and those sort of things. Um, what was the size of the audience? Was this 1,000 people? Oh, no. Was it 10 people? Very, very small. Yeah. Okay. Thousands of people would be different, but ultimately, I'd still do the same thing. I would still look to the first three rows and and make it personal. Engage them directly. Correct. Yeah. I would find that difficult because sometimes an audience of that size, you're far away, even from the first three rows. Like you're four feet up on a stage. The stage is twenty by twenty. It's still more difficult to engage. Versus an audience of 50 people that you're probably could touch them, right? You might not even have a stage. 
or you're just going to get off the stage because it was only five by five anyway. But yeah, no, I, I so I'll never, I will not likely get off the stage unless I do it one time and then I'm done. I'm not back on the stage. Right. It's a, you know, you're not going back up and down. What, what's it's that, that leg mobility issue that I have, right. From the yeah. motorcycle accident. I, uh, I'm not doing stairs when I'm the presenter. Right. Right. Like that's a, that's a big deal for me. I've already got mobility issues. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, trip and fall because I'm not paying enough attention. Right. So would you, so rate the output of that. So do you believe that that was a better exercise than the original plan to present your slides? So in this case, I would say, yeah. So in this case, I would say the value to the audience was significantly improved the way that I did it yesterday. Right. However, the value to my employer was reduced because their logo and their name didn't get splashed four or five times. I said it four or five times, but you don't have kind of the three things, right? You don't have right. the three attachment points if I just say it over and over. Plus I hit it, um, I, I used some articles that the company had written um, as reference points. And then my final slide actually had QR codes to each article, there were four. Call to actions so you could get yeah. them to subscribe yeah. to some product. Yeah. yeah, so so they didn't get to see that, so that wasn't that wasn't possible. Um, right. But but again, I think the value to the audience was significantly improved because it was very personal. Yeah, right? they didn't want to talk about it. I didn't talk about it. So this shows, like we've talked about this before, we, considering we have different presentation skill sets. Um, I would be very very comfortable without AV on a topic that I already had a mastery of. Right, because the reality is any presentation I have presented a thousand times, the slides are behind me and you can visually walk through the story I'm talking about, but I never reference the slides. Right? I don't look back and say, this bullet point right here, this box connects to this other box. You don't see me doing that. You just see the visuals behind me and I'm pushing the button without you knowing I'm pushing the button just so that you, so it feels like the story is going behind you. If I didn't have AV, that story would be the exact same with the same level of emotion, the same kind of intonation, the same kind of, you know, pre-understanding what the questions are gonna be, and I think it would be successful. It would not be successful if this was not a present, if this was a presentation I was presenting for the first time. Because as you said, I do reference slides because I'm not as familiar with the next slide or the current slide looks like. I haven't created the pattern that I think will be effective for the audience. Uh, I would struggle in that situation. Now, I would attempt to present a storyline that I'd be familiar with, but it would not resonate as much as the original would resonate. I guarantee that's not going to occur. Let me uh, ask you this my, question. My, my hopes would be that I'd have the at least the deck in front of me, right, and on my, on my screen, so that I could reference it if I had to present it. Do you create story first, or do you create the logic or the content first? when you guys do your, your presentation? Uh, they're tightly coupled for me, uh, honestly, um, mostly because I don't, so, so if I just do story first, then the content will never match, mm -hmm. right? Because I'll get wrapped in the story. I'll be like, okay, this is the story and I'll have built the story relatively thoroughly in my mind about what I want to talk about. And then not be able to connect it back because I'm not a PowerPoint wizard, right? So I won't be able to connect it back to the PowerPoint because I, I just won't be able to put the things where I want the things to have them look the way I want. 
So what I do instead is I, I have a very light story and then start working on the PowerPoint. And I find when I don't do that, the two don't ever really have enough of a connection. Um, it's why, like Paul's brought this up several times, my decks often don't match my story because the content's not, the, the content's a, a amalgamation of the thing that I was given to work from plus some edits that I made to it and it was never really mine and it never really fit the story that I'm that I started working on while someone else was working on the first version of the deck. And for me, most organizations are very, very good producing what slides, right? What it is, when you'd implement it, that kind of stuff. Very, very few do the why slides. So I spend all of my time in the why. The first half dozen slides almost never exist and I have to recreate them from scratch so that we've preparing the audience for the what. The reason why you wanna hear this, the, all the trends that are happening, the things that are happening to you personally, these are all true. And since all of these are true and we're all nodding in the slides, let's talk about what we're gonna do about it. And then you start presenting the what slides. So most of my time and energy is creating the whys. And then I just fill in the what's that are already there. And I, I kind of add to them. I may make minor, minor modifications, but for the most part, the what's are open. And, and if we're being honest, the what's not why you're there. <laughs> right. right. If the what was obvious, they could just go to your website and find the what, because those what slides, those what, that what information is available on everybody's website. Right. Right. Um, and, and it's always frustrating to me when I'm an audience member and they're just presenting the what. Right. Go straight into the what. Let me tell you about my product. What? Yeah, most uh, presenters uh, go straight into the what. That's why they're brought there. That's what they're paid. You know, that's what they're told they're paid to do. And those are the slides that they're given. Right. You and I worked for the same organization. We never, ever, ever got a Y slide, even if we had provided a Y slide. Back to them. <laughs> Correct. They removed they it before the Y slide out and said, "No, no, no. Where's the? Where are the other slides? Oh, we don't like those slides. They didn't, they didn't meet with. Okay, cool. I'm not presenting without them. <laughs> right. Right. I reserve the right to put my slides back in. The hook completely for the audience. Right. The hook is not the what. The hook is the why. Why? Until they, until we all agree on the why, we're never going to agree on the what, or the That's how, right. or the who. You have to agree on the why. Right. Oh well, you know we don't, we don't no we disagree. Okay, cool. Then you go present. <laughs> so, because and and I think this is the distinct difference between how we would see the world, especially as consumers of technology versus sellers of technology. Um, most products are the same, right? Most competitive products pretty much do the same thing. Slightly differently, I agree, but and different maturities. But for the most part, I could download, install each one of them, and they probably would solve my problem. So since that's true, going right into the what doesn't help you in any way. You have to talk about the underlying reasons why one needs to solve this problem so that people are already on your side. Once they're already on the, your side and we believe we're peers, then they'll want to implement the, your recommendation because you've, you've solved their problem before. So, well, so I know this part that. because we have done it, but before you go, Howard, go a little bit deeper into that for the audience, because you just said something that I've seen the three of us do, you guys, when you guys are on stage, but a lot of people dive directly without making the connection and the why is what made the connection for that trusted connection with the 
presenter. So then later on, they will agree with it. So that was actually what I was gonna what I was gonna say okay. um, because I had this conversation over and over and over again with the CEO of Hitachi, right? Because Hitachi would do, hey, this is our storage thing, right? And it would be different than the storage story from the other vendors, right? Pure would have a different storage story, right? And and yes, it's storage. It does the same thing. But I'm like, that's not like, why did we make a choice to invest our engineering time into that, right? Why is the fastest array in whatever measure IOPS will go with, right? Why is 4 million IOPS in a single frame so important to Itachi, right? What do you mean? I mean, at some point there's a decision made on where we're gonna invest our engineering time. And we feel that this is the place to invest our engineering time. Why did we do that versus any other number of improvements and call it a new array? Well, I don't know. But yeah, but that's the interesting part. That's right. Right? The number of customers that needed, I don't remember how many IOPS, it was some insane amount of IOPS. The number of customers that need that number of IOPS is effectively one. <laughs> exactly. Right? There's not likely to be more than a handful if there's even two right. who really need it in a single frame. Right. Across my organization, sure, but sure. could I do it in, in 20 different devices? Likely. Would I want to if the if the management interface is good enough? And the reality is my organization is that is that size, so I have eight line of businesses anyway. Right. Sure. And and more than one storage admin. Right. Right. So <laughs> so the reality is you're only building it for the case where it has to be within one frame. Right. Right. Where I can't, where something about the architecture prevents me from splitting the workload and, and aggregating it. So so you're building it for this really specific use case. And there might there might be other pieces there, but until I know the why, I, how do I, as a customer, how do I reconcile myself with, is this my why as well? And thus, should I buy this thing? Because that's what we do. We don't look to the, to the what, we look to the why, right? Uh, you had a good example. My example for this exact same situation was the eight second, eight second gap, right? Uh, so we introduced a product that was eight nines of availability versus six nines of availability. And the difference between those two availability sets is eight seconds. And the question is, why would we have invested in eight seconds? We probably put you know, $30 million in creating a, a frame to which resolved itself much quicker. Uh, and nobody ever got to the why this was interesting and important. And I had to keep pushing because eight seconds matters in a lot of situations, like stopping trains, like landing planes, like baby heart monitors. Right? Eight seconds absolutely matters. That's why we invested. That's why you'd invest in the product with us. Right? That, that's the distinct difference between the actual feature and functionality of the system. Yeah, that was I didn't talk about eight nines availability. I talked about eight seconds. Yep, but that was your why. Yeah. Right? You invented that why, whereas the engineering team didn't. They just were chasing something that didn't matter. They were, they were chasing something that wasn't a why. That's right. They were chasing 100% availability. <laughs> Correct, which which is a what? Because because right. again, hundred percent availability only matters in the theoretical, right? Right? Because yeah. you're never there's no there's no such thing outside a lab anyhow. <clears throat> and the reality is, um, hundred percent availability is hundred percent of hundred percent of things working when I need them to work. Right. And I don't likely need everything to work all of the time perfectly. Right. Nor can I afford that even if that, that was physically possible. Correct. Correct. Right. So, 
So you invented that why. Yeah. And, and that's actually kind of the frustration, right? The frustration is I can't really get on stage without a why. And if I can't get you to tell me the why, then I have to invent the why, right? All the time I spend as an analyst talking to, you know, various companies, the very first call is what is your why? And they don't, they, honestly, they don't know. Which goes back to the original theme of the pod, even though we, we mostly have heard from it. Uh, when I have had AV problems in the past, I almost entirely talk about the why at that point. Because the why is my experience, the why is my background, the why is why we're all here, the why is probably what the audience is looking for, and I'm not a master of the what anyway. Right? I haven't mastered the features and functions of the product. I really don't know everything about what it does, but that's not why you've asked me to come and present anyway. Right? These are the last three or four slides to which I tend to go through quickly anyway. Right? And if you want to double click, I'm sure I can find somebody in my audience that be able to help you with those answers. <laughs> right? So since I'm, I wasn't intending on presenting those, even if they're visually apparent anyway, I'm going to avoid presenting them entirely and talk exclusively about my experience in this particular domain. Does it change if the audience is more technical that the why is not as important and that they will be looking more for the what? And I'm asking the question because we have seen it and I wanna double click on that because sometimes we think, well, if it's higher up in the organization, they will be focusing probably on the why and they probably align it with budgets or funding versus lower or more technical audiences that they just focus on, give me how to do it. Should our leaders or our audience that is listening think before they do a presentation first on the why versus the what, based on who they present to? So I think that's a, I think, I think you have two different questions there. One I would say is a flat no, right? Which is, which is kind of the first part, right? Should, an audience that is more technical not receive the why or have a different level of concentration on the why? And I would say absolutely not, right? Because the first audience, that, that audience is actually the one that needs the why the most because they tend to focus on the what and they tend to not get their project sold. They tend to not get their initiative sold. They tend to not be able to, like they're great at creating um, uh, innovation, but innovation fundamentally requires a why. And they tend to focus on the what. This new framework is neat. This new tool is neat. This new product is neat. Okay, cool. But I don't buy. I don't buy neat. I buy why. So until you can tell me how your innovation aligns with our why and start thinking about why, your innovation is not going to go anywhere. I can't get anything out of the lab, right? Why, why is that? I just keep. So then obviously the product was broken. The product was never broken. In some cases it definitely is, but but it's not likely to be a product problem. It's likely to be a why problem. Right? So when you're selling to someone who's looking at why, not what, you need to also sell using why, not what. And so I think in that case, an audience that is more technical hearing why has tremendous value. Now, at the same time, you do need to understand your audience. And the way you frame the why is very different. And, and the value of the why is very different than when you're talking to a, an executive group that, that cares so little, isn't going to use the why versus people who are going to use the what and still need to understand the why, right? The why being the bridge, I think, between the audiences. My biggest fails of presentation have not been AV. Uh, they've been entirely uh, 
content versus audience expectation. So, so when the audience is very, very technical, they have an expectation of technical deep dives. That's not what's going to be delivered for me. So they'll have people, I'll have people walk away from those presentations giving poor reviews, given that I didn't double click on a whole bunch of things they thought I should double click on. Uh, now that is a failure of uh, myself for reading the audience. It's a failure of whoever was setting me up to talk in that particular circumstance. Um, and of course, um, they probably should have read into the topic that we were about to jump into. You know, I clearly wasn't going to talk about the latest release of the software. That's interesting. But, uh, but that has been my biggest failures with my smallest amount of, of positive reviews. And, uh, and I've done presentations where I've mistakenly been highly profane. And I, I've, I've been deep into a demo of a product. This is way back in, you know, 20 years ago, where I let, you know, the S word fly in an audience of well more than 2000 people. This was a keynote doing a presentation of a demo of a product that was just built. And I mistakenly used that word. And I just had to keep going. I had to not recognize that this was going and I just kept going the demo. And I, I don't know, I, even today I live to regret it. It was ugly. But in fairness, I'm not one that is, that swears frequently, right? I'm not, I don't, I'm not a profane kind of person in my everyday speech. So that was actually a unique just for me personally. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was up. loud. Like a room of 2000 people is a loud, large room. <laughs> true. It's true. I'm sure it no, got really don't... quiet too. I'm sure all the Don't little worry. muttering chatter just vanished. <laughs> exactly. So Tony Robbins used the S, the F, all the colorful words for a whole weekend, and people start cheering for him. So don't worry if you said it once. <laughs> yeah, but it's but but that's actually a huge difference, right? Because I'm closer to Tony Robbins than I am Paul. Right. I use profanity like color in a portrait or seasoning on a on a dish. Right. right. Um. It, it is simply common parlance for me. I. I it's. Yeah. It's hard for me to not use it during this podcast, simply <laughs> because I'm so used to using it. It's so commonplace for me, and I don't use it here because I don't want our podcast to get flagged. I. I. I, I, I don't. I just mean here, like literally within the last thirty seconds. Right. Right. <laughs> because when Paul said I don't use profanity, I wanted to say no. Shoot. <laughs> But I knew that would likely get us flagged if we were caught for vanity. Because um, for me, I don't think about it, right? I'm a lot more like Tony Robbins. But but it also means after the first time, it's not really the wow. Right. Right. Versus Paul saying it one time in his life probably had more impact than every single time I've said it in my life. It's true. And it, and it certainly had more impact for Paul. Right. Right. We need to look I, for that video. I actually can't. It might exist. I can't remember a time where I've said it or not said it. You know what I mean? Like right. it's not. It no longer. It just doesn't come up. The the only time that I can actually remember using profanity in a way that it was commented on, was in my Hitachi interview, where afterwards Paul's Paul, Paul's feedback to me was, "They you're a little bit rough around the edges. Rough around the edges. That was it. <laughs> that was it." You're a little rough around the edges. And I paused and I was like, what, what do you mean? Oh, oh, 
is that because I said inter expletive here in the interview? And he said, yes. Oh, yeah, okay, I can handle that. I didn't know if it was something else. I didn't know. If it, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I didn't know if it was from something important that I should be aware of. But no, I do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what, what other obscene thing did I say? Well, yeah. What, 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 what are the rough around the edges? Like, am I missing some, some piece of knowledge that some skill set? Yeah. Right. Is there a skill problem? No, it wasn't that at all. It was, it was the use of print. And, and I'm like, Oh no, I do that on purpose. And Paul was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and then we kind it, of went to that explanation of why I do that very specifically. And I've in that, that circumstance, it must've been your interview with the HR person that, um, that it was highlighted to me. It, it was the interview with the HR person, yes. I did it with everyone, but but yes, it was the HR person. Yeah, but the others didn't mention it to me as if, you know, that's just, in fairness, most people knew who you were already, right? You, Howard was a known entity in this circumstance, so. And the only other person who didn't really know who I was very, very well was yeah. also Canadian, and I think he just assumed that's how Americans are. <laughs> it's true. It's just a general assumption. <laughs> Where does he live? Denver? Oh, okay, well. Oh, oh that's fine. <laughs> The cowboy. Yeah, it is an organization that I knew very, very well. And it is an organization that shared a notebook of things Howard has said in the past. <laughs> right? right? Like there's that, there's that book, um, uh, Shoot My Dad Says. It's not yeah. shoot, but, you know, again, try to avoid yeah. the profanity. And, and it was a published book and they made a TV show out of it. And it was just weird things that their dad said. There was a similar right. one for stuff Howard said. I know, I know it for a fact because I got introduced to people that way. Oh, I wanted well, we to meet you. So and so shared this thing that you said at this thing, and there's a whole list, and I want to hear more of them. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, that's it's a little awkward way to meet meet someone because I, I don't know what they wrote down. Did you have the book? I no. Publish it. No, I, I don't actually. I, I should see if if uh, if anybody still has it. That'd be hilarious. That would be that would be a great lead magnet. I could <laughs> meet yeah, Howard. It'd be a little weird to do it yourself, though, wouldn't it? Like somebody else has to publish it. It's got to be. It's got to be observational. Otherwise, it's just. Bizarre. It has to be updated. We've got to give it to your current team and say, update this list. <laughs> we we want to hear what else he says. Uh, the only, the last, the last thing I'd say is in this situation, a big fail that I've encountered many times when you expect an audience of, let's say, 100 and you get an audience of three. Um, so you're expecting a very large presentation with, you know, you're on stage and you've got the hand motion and you're, you're going to speak loud enthusiastically and now you can't do any of those things, right? Now that entire process is out. You're going to get off the stage. You're going to have everybody sort of head a little closer. You're going to probably sit down with them and now it's just a conversation, right? You're not going to present anything. You're not even going to attempt to bring the screens up because it's awkward. Right? There's, the last thing they want to do is three people look at a screen. So now you're just going to sit down, have a conversation. And it might be fruitful. I'm not saying the conversation won't be good, but it'll be very, very different than your expectation was. So I'd like to close with a little piece of advice. So let's say you're on stage and it's gone sideways. Video doesn't work. Maybe audio doesn't work. Maybe the audience isn't what you expected. Maybe you expected 10 and you got 1,000. If you expected 1,000, you got 10. <clears throat> My advice is simply this. Calm down, right? Recognize that expectations are, are nothing more than the, the mind failing us because they've set us up with something that is not attached to reality. It's an expectation. 
take a moment, step out from beside us, step out from behind the podium and look at the individuals and recognize that they're just people. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they're in the room is to see you. And the totality of their expectation is whatever was written in the program. Right. Right. Somebody said yesterday, uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, when I started, you know, when they were showing me that what they put together as a deck that I didn't use, um, how will they know who you are if you don't tell them? And I said, it doesn't actually matter because they're already in the room. <laughs> Right. Already they're already convinced to be there. Correct. I mean, they're already in the room. I'm guaranteed the first five minutes. Right. Because it's too much work in the first five minutes to get up and leave and awkwardly walk into another session. I guarantee, right. I'm guaranteed to have them for the first five minutes. Then all I have to do is not piss them off so much that they're like, oh, this sucks. I got to go. I'm going to go now be late for the next session. <laughs> right. in the room. So take a deep breath and recognize they're already in the room. Yep. If the audience is small and it's broken, if the audience is huge, just have a conversation. You are there because you have some expertise that they do not have. Just give them that expertise. And the moment that they start to drift, ask a question mm -hmm. and pick someone. It's not, I, I'm going to use low code as an example. Sir, do you use low code? Uh, no, we don't. Okay. So what, bring, what brought you into the session today? Oh, well, we were right. thinking about using it. Okay. Well, where are you at in your journey? Right. Let's talk right. about three Easy things about that don't require a lot of forethought. Yep. Yep. And while you're concentrating on that one person, there's 70 other people in the room that are going, I have the same question. I'm just glad you didn't call on me, but I'm glad you answered that question. And you move <laughs> right. on to another person who has a different question, and 70 other people go, thank God, that was the question I was looking to get asked. Right. And 70 other people. And, and it doesn't matter if it's not 70. It doesn't matter if it's just that one. Right. It's okay because you're going to ask another question and ask another question and ask another question. And it's also okay if you don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And it's a little outside my experience. Right. Let's ask the audience and see, Does any, has anyone else encountered this? Right. That's totally okay. Right. You can think of yourself at that point as the moderator of the room. Right. right? And everyone's going to remember that time where it went sideways and the presenter just moved on. Right. Right. Or they're not going to remember it. And that's sometimes even better. But they will remember that time that it went sideways and the presenter had a meltdown. Yeah. That's the advice I always give. It's just an hour of your life. Right. It honestly doesn't matter in the holistic, you know, 85 to 90 years you're going to have. It doesn't matter. Good, bad, or indifferent. Have a goal of good. But even if it goes badly, it's only an hour of your life. Who cares? It's not a huge burden. It probably shouldn't even burden your week, let alone burden your lifetime. Yep. Yeah. My friends, it's been awesome to realize that sometimes your presentation may go to the seat per, but you actually can recover from it and not focus on that. But take the advice. Sometimes it's better to have a conversation, even when you're on stage. You don't want to be talking at the people. You want to engage and bring them in, ask questions, because that's how learning moves us forward. My friends, make sure that you subscribe, you share, and we'll see you on our next episode.